welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Cool. Well, let's pray, shall we? Father, I just want to thank you just for the revelation that you bring to us through your word. Lord, we, we, we would not know anything. Uh, other than what we could see and, and glean for ourselves, apart from the revelation that comes from your word. And I thank you, Lord. You help us to know things that we could not otherwise possibly know. You teach us what is right and what is wrong and what is the right way up and what is upside down and so on and so forth. And I pray tonight, Lord, you'd help me as I just want to articulate some truth uh, to do it to the very best of my ability and beyond. I pray that you'd help us as a congregation to take on board what I've got to say in order that our lives might truly count for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. Well, welcome. It's great to see you all here tonight. And as Tony mentioned, we are in the midst of a series. We're just finishing off a series called Upside Down. I think it's, it's just been great to hear some of the feedback. Um, people really seem to have been, I, I don't know whether it's the fact we've been doing something morning and night. I don't know. It's just the nature of the subject. But people really seem to have been taking on board what we've been sharing and putting it into practice, being challenged. And, and that's exactly what we want. We want to see people's lives change right way up as we talk about Upside Down. Now, fair enough? Tone started this series four weeks ago in the morning, and he spoke about the fact that we're born into a culture, and that we grow up, therefore, accepting that the taste, the language, the values, the laws uh, of that culture are um, normal and possibly even the only right way to do things. And uh, he then looked at the fact that when you become a Christian, there's a massive culture shock. We soon realize that most of what goes on around about us is contrary to the way things operate in God's kingdom. The things God hates are the things, by and large, that our society tends to promote and love. The things he outlaws are the things that we legalize. And the things that he esteems are the things that we tend to look down on. And that's why Jesus often said when he was preaching to the crowds, he said, you've heard it said such and such, but I tell you something else. For example, you've heard it said, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. So he's always having to get people's minds and sort of rip them around and bend them a little bit so they could understand not the way things are, but the way that things are meant to be. Okay, because God intended this world, uh, created this world with a purpose and he had a plan in mind. And yet things have gone pear shaped, they've gone bottom up. Uh, Tone showed us a bit of a picture this morning from, from the film Poseidon. And if you don't know the film, it's basically about a ship that just goes upside down. And all those people that, that are the only ones that survived were the ones that worked out, in order to get out of this ship, we're not going to go to the top, but we've got to go up to the bottom. And they were able to survive because of that. And so today, we're living in a world that is totally upside down. Things are totally gone wrong. And we need to work out in the midst of all that, what is God's way of doing things? What is the right way of doing things? Some of the things we've looked at in this series so far have been, um, I guess they're, they're paradoxes. They're things that, are, you know, on the surface of things, they seem to be contradictory. They seem to be a little bit weird. Um, says mentioned that they're the things that make you go, what the? And uh, we looked at first is last. And again, we're looking at, we live in a world where definitely people are striving to be first. And yet, sorry, we, it, Jesus tells us to be last is to be first. We looked at the fact that it's about serving if you want to rule. It's about being foolish if you want to be wise. It's about accepting slavery if you want freedom. It's about the least being the greatest. It's about weakness being strength. And this morning we heard about the fact that it's about giving to receive. 
And so this evening, we're going to have a look at what we've entitled, Die to Live. And if you want to turn in your Bibles, we've got them there, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Just going to pick out a few little scriptures. I'm not going to read a whole passage, just a few parts of it. It will be up here on the screen. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, all the stuff that you were doing wrong. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. In verse 4 it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now I don't know about you, when I read that scripture... It's one of those things that makes you go, what the? Like, what's going on here? This is weird. Paul is talking here about you being dead in the ways that you used to live. And God made us alive while we were dead. And I don't know about you, but I can't remember a time when I was dead. I mean, I've been alive most of my life, as far as I'm aware. And yet there's this paradoxical teaching of Paul. He's talking about the fact that we were dead. And yet most people would say, no, I'm alive. And so the initial response is that. But what a paradox is supposed to do, we mentioned the fact that you know, a paradox is like a tree standing on its head to draw attention to itself. And what a paradox is supposed to do is our initial thought is, well, I've always been alive, but the Bible is telling us that we were dead. So then what we're supposed to think, ah, maybe there's more to the subject of life and death than meets the eye. Maybe we need to look at this a little bit more and think about it a little bit more because we don't want to miss out. If there's some truth around life and death, um, they're fairly serious subjects. And you don't want to get that one wrong. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. The first point I want to make tonight about life or dying to live is that death is both physical and spiritual. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. For many, the mention of the word death, you know, it invokes dread. It's something that most people generally, generally don't like to contemplate. On the surface of it, it equates to separation and loneliness and grief and all of that sort of stuff. You know, the common assumptions about death are simply this, that death is physical. In other words, when your body stops working, you die. That's what we see with the natural eye, and that's the way most people consider death. And that's the only way most people consider death. They see death, a physical death, as a future event. And yet we've seen Paul talk about death as a past event. But most people think about death in terms of something that's going to happen down the track. Many people think that death is the worst thing that can happen to you. And most people think that death is a normal and a natural part of life. They're the common assumptions about death that people get just from observing the natural world around about them. But the Bible, as I mentioned when I prayed, brings us revelation. It helps us to know things that we could not otherwise know. I think I shared a couple of weeks ago, it's like a handbook for life. When you buy a car, there are certain things you need to do. There are certain things you don't need to do. And so that information is really helpful if, you're going to, if your car is going to have a long and healthy life. If you disobey it, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And so the Bible helps us to know things that we need to know that we couldn't otherwise know. Otherwise, it would just be our best guess about how the universe came into being, what really is right, what really is wrong, what are absolutes, etc. But God tells us. 
And so the Bible tells us a few things about death, a few things about death. We've already looked that Jesus said, don't be afraid of those that can kill the body, but worry about the one who can kill the soul as well. So not only is death just physical, but it's spiritual as well. And spiritual death for many is not a future event, it's a current reality. Right now, there are people that are literally dead men or dead women walking. They are breathing, they have all the vital signs, but as far as God is concerned, there's a death that is happening right there and right now in their lives, or perhaps in your life. Jesus tells us that spiritual death should cause us more concern than physical death. Most people are more concerned about physical death, but spiritual death is a bigger problem ultimately than physical. It's sad when people die. It's, 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 it's not so nice to contemplate the, the many ways that you can be taken out of this life perhaps and the pain that that can involve. Not nice things to thought, think about, but Jesus, don't worry about that. That's the least of your worries because ultimately it's what happens to your soul that really matters. And the third thing, fourth thing the Bible tells us about death is that it is not natural and it is not normal. It's normal now, but now is a brief burp in eternity. Now is like a small, you know, if you could, if you could plot eternity on a graph, like it's just a little blip on the radar, this current era in which we live, this current um, scenario that includes death, that includes sin, that includes sickness, that includes a whole bunch of other stuff that causes pain and suffering. It's just a blip on the radar in God's economy over all eternity. So it's not normal, it's not natural. It came as a result of sin. I guess the same things that I've spoken about death apply to life as well. There's physical life. Most people only live in the realm of thinking about physical life, but there's also spiritual life. I'm not going to go into that too much. The second point I want to make, the title's possibly a little bit lame, but hopefully you'll get where I'm going with it in a minute. But it's just this, is that life is dimmable. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. You know, most people think about death and life in terms of something that you have or you don't have. Like you're alive or you're dead. It's like a light switch. It's on or it's off. And yet that's not the way Bible, the Bible looks at life. And in fact, many people have worked out that it's not just about having life, but it's about quality of life and quantity of life. You know, it's one thing just to have vital signs and be hooked up to a machine and be comatose. It's another thing to be you know, able to take your kids to the park and do all the things that, that people with some sort of quality of life are able to do. Okay, so Jesus acknowledged that, that there are different measures of life, if you like. It's like not just an on-off switch, like a dimmer switch. And so you could have something like from just, you know, vital signs exist to surviving, to getting by, to fair to middling, to doing okay, survive, whatever. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But Jesus said, no, I want to give you life to the full. I want to crank it right up so that we're really shining in terms of the whole life deal. Many people don't realise they're actually living a diminished life. This world in which we live turns us down. This world in which we live robs us of the life that is truly life. It's its whole goal. We spoke a few, week, um, a few weeks ago about how the devil's goal is to kill, steal and destroy. And he is the one that is behind the, the, the systems, the plans, the thought patterns of this world. Ultimately, it's not man's ideas. Man is following the enemy down a deadly path. That's why so much of what we do in our own wisdom results in heartache and pain and suffering. Okay, you got that? Excellent. So many people, I guess, recognise to some degree they're living a diminished life. 
that things aren't all they should be. And so they think, well, I know what I'll do. I'll liven things up a little bit. And so they go about bringing all sorts of things into their lives that they think will liven things up. Sometimes people start, you know, go about accumulating stuff. And depending on how old you are and how much money you've got, you might get a new pair of roller skates or you might get a Ferrari. But the assumption is that if I bring more stuff into my life, that I will bring more life into my life. But that's not the way it works. Some people think, well, if I do more stuff, if I do more things, and we've got you know, extreme sports today, people just trying to you know, hit the boundaries of life, trying to, trying to inject something into their life that is missing. They recognise that they're not where they should be or could be. And so they're spending money and time and doing things and, and you know, perhaps it's about affairs or whatever it might be, but people are trying to inject something into this life to make it seem more worthwhile, more worthy of living. The problem is that everything we do outside of what God's calling us to do ultimately is going to drag us down. It's going to diminish us. It's going to dim us. It's going to turn us down in terms of life. Because when you begin to make yourself the center of your universe, it's like a a spiral that's downwards and inwards. And your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller as it begins to revolve around you. You think about it. You're driving an old bomb around the place. Um, Are you too concerned about who you're going to give a lift to? No. No. But the moment you go out and buy your Ferrari to try and get yourself a little bit more feeling good about yourself and all that, are you just going to let anyone sit in your car? Your life gets smaller. You get diminished. You begin to, it begins to cave in on itself. The things that people are doing to satisfy and please themselves and prove to themselves that they're really living are ultimately just diminishing themselves and robbing themselves of life. Full life that Jesus is talking about, the abundant life, the super abundant life and all the other translations that are out there is not about what we do or what we have. It's about who we are. Jesus is bringing us or talking to us about a life that consists in who we are. Who were you created to be? That's the measure of life. What were you created to be? Well, we were all created as human beings in the image of God. We were ultimately created to be like God. God is the most awesome person I know. If you're created in God's image, you've got a fair bit of potential in your life. And yet people are living diminished lives. But Jesus wants us to to break out. I was thinking about an illustration. I must have been thinking about Ferraris for some reason. (laughs) But you think about it. A Ferrari is not designed to cruise around in city traffic at 50 k's an hour. And sit at traffic lights. It's not. What are Ferraris designed for? They're designed to get on a racetrack or they're designed to get an autobahn where there's no spin. And they're just designed to just go as fast as they can. And, and just, you know, the, the driver is, is to, to just enjoy the speed and the handling, the whole experience of the thing. That's what Ferraris are created for. Oh. <laughs> all the power, all the handling characteristics, it all comes together for an awesome. Driving experience. That's what it's about. That's what they are created for. You think about the average person, you think about your life and you think about the average person you know and put it in the same context. A person created in the image of God. God who created everything. I mean, God's mind is incredible. 
His artistic ability is incredible. His, his skill, his, his um, designing ability, everything about God is amazing. And yet somehow, the majority of us in the Western world have got reduced to sitting in front of a square box going... It sounds like someone's switched the dimmer down. It's not, it's not the life that God intended. It's not the life that God envisioned. We were created for far more than that. You know, when a person created in the image of a generous God gets miserable and stingy and caught in a cycle of selfishness, it's just like a Ferrari stuck in a traffic jam. We were never supposed to be there. It's not what we're created for. There's no, there's no satisfaction in that. There's no purpose in that. God's intention wasn't that. God's intention was far loftier. It was far higher. It was far more exciting, far more amazing than that. When somebody who's created in the image of a loving and accepting God gets caught in a, tri- in a, in a cycle of resentment and prejudice, likewise. I mean, you know what sucks is when you see a Ferrari going down a, f- a back street, you know, 40 k's with speed humps. <laughs> hit the speed. Oh, man, that is ugly. That really sucks. What about Christians? What about people created in the image of God? The, the very image of the one who hung on a cross, having endured all that he endured, and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That, that, that capacity to love, that capacity to embrace a world that is totally misunderstanding the whole point of the thing, and yet we get offended at the littlest thing. And somehow... Our life gets diminished and becomes small again. However, what about when a person whose life is small and they have been caught up in all the wrong stuff, they got caught up in the pattern of this world and they've been bruised and they've been beaten and they've been broken and they've done all the stuff that you're not supposed to do because of the pain and suffering it brings to themselves and others and they're caught in the cycle of unforgiveness, they're caught in a cycle of bitterness. But they meet Jesus and they learn about forgiveness. And they begin to put aside the cares of the past. And they begin to relate to people again in the way that God intended. And they forgive and they exercise generosity and hospitality and all those sort of things. They're beginning to get large again. They're beginning to grow. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about life to the full. We can, we can live large or we can live small. The devil's plan, and he is real, is to diminish our lives to the point we look barely human. I've said this before. Most people live as creatures of instinct. God created us with a will. He created us with emotions. He created us to love. He created us to act in ways that are godly. And yet many people live according to their hormones. They live according to what they like. or They're just led by their emotions. And that is living way beyond. We live like dogs, like animals. We don't respond out of the God nature that is within us. What does the full life look like? It just looks like Jesus. Jesus is and was God in the flesh. Jesus is the epitome of the perfection of humanity. And he is our goal. That is what the full life looks like. I can find nothing about Jesus that is unattractive. I can find nothing about Jesus. There's some stuff that's hard to take in terms of what he says. But when you look at the reason why he says it, 
And you see, like Tony mentioned this morning again, how, how Jesus talking to a, a rich young guy. And he looks at, and he loves him. He sees this guy and he's, he knows all that he's been up to. He knows that he's deluded. He knows that he's prideful. He knows he's everything, but he looks at him. He loves him. And this is the Jesus that we serve. And he, and he knows all that we've been up to. And he knows all of our delusional stuff. He knows all the illusions of grandeur that we have about ourselves. He knows how good we think we are. He knows all that we've done. But he loves us. And that's what God is wanting to be, see reflected in every one of our lives. He came that we might have life to the full. And the fullness, the measure of that fullness is Jesus himself. So how do we get this life? Well, I guess that comes back to the title of my sermon tonight. Death ultimately promotes life. It's a little bit of a paradox. We think that life, we think that doing it, we think that getting it, we think that experiencing it is what gives us life. But no, Jesus says no. Death promotes life. John chapter 12, verse 24, it says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. But the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In that scripture, Jesus no doubt is looking to some degree at his own impending death. He's not too far off from the cross. And he's mindful of the fact that as I go through this sacrifice, the result is going to be the salvation of many, 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 many people, not just now, but throughout the ages. And so there's an element of Jesus fulfilling or speaking of his own life and what was come. But ultimately, he was also stating a principle for which all of his followers were to follow him in. Those who make this life about living for pleasure will end up dying. But those who are prepared to prioritise God's purposes will not only save themselves, but those around about them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. The more in our lives that we're prepared to let die in order to do good's work, God's good works, the more we're going to impact our sphere of influence. We can choose to remain unforgiving and stingy or we can choose to kill that thing in our life. You know, if your leg or your foot has got gangrene, you can leave it there. It's not going to do you any good. Eventually, what's going to happen? Your ankle will get gangrene. Then your shin will get gangrene. Then your, your body will just die eventually. It'll be poisoned from the inside. And... Some of the attitudes that we carry, some of the actions that we involve ourselves in are poisonous to us. And so Christ is calling us to kill these things, to suffocate them. You know, if you are, if you are caught in the middle of an addiction, you know, maybe it's about pornography, maybe it's about an affair, maybe it's about alcohol, maybe it's about drugs, whatever, you can't mess around with that thing. You've got to kill it. You've got to starve it. You've got to make a decision and decide to kill that thing. Otherwise, it will end up killing you. And it won't just kill you. You'll take others with you because you're created to live large. You're created to display the glory of God, not perpetuate the myth of all Christians are hypocrites. 
Forgive. Be generous. Grow your life and your influence will grow. Kill off the things that don't help you. Like I said, it might be attitudes, it might be actions, it might even be dreams, dreams that aren't in themselves bad. I was driving back from a friend's house down One Tree Hill just last week and uh, a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to Hannah in the car and I was just, just sharing, I said, oh, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to build a house out here, I wanted to, you know, because it's a beautiful spot, who wouldn't want to live out there? But there came a point in my life where that thing had to die. I just realised I can't serve God and do that. I can do either or, but I can't do both for me doesn't mean that it's wrong for everyone to do that. But I just know, for me, a point came in my life where, I mean, I used to be a tech studies teacher. I had this big dream of you know, a nice property and massive shed full of tools and just, just please myself and you know, make things and just express God's creativity, whatever. <laughs> I could have justified it. <laughs> but God got a hold of my life and being pulled him in a different direction. And so certain things had to die. Now, it would be an overstatement for me to think that this wouldn't have happened if I wasn't a part of it. But it would be an understatement to suggest that if I had just gone that, it wouldn't have made any difference. Likewise with Tony. So many of people in this room have paid a price. Things have died in the lives of people in this church to enable this church to happen. It wouldn't be here without some sacrifice. It wouldn't be here without some death of some dreams and some sporting careers and maybe some businesses or maybe other things that could have happened that were, would have been wonderful and the world would have applauded and said, well done, you're awesome, you're clever, you're great, you're beautiful, you're whatever else people do you know, in terms of lauding people. But people have said, no, that, that's not what I'm called to do. I think of, like, just seeing Danny there and I know Di, there's people that volunteer in this church who could be doing other things, earning a whole bunch more money. There's people that are just giving faithfully week in, week out. And they could have bigger houses if they chose not to bring their tithe into God's storehouse. I'm sure you know, that God wouldn't strike them all down and make them all broke necessarily straight away. Probably not at all. People could have bigger houses if they didn't tithe, no doubt. People could have nicer cars. People could go on better holidays and all that sort of stuff. But there's a death that people have chosen to, to bring into their life in order that it might be life in other areas. God is calling us to, to, to make good calls and to die in order that others that might live. I reckon anything that dies, anything that dies, for Jesus' sake and in his name, will ultimately bear much fruit. Any attitude that you have, that you kill off in the name of Jesus Christ will bear fruit. Any action that you're involved in, whether it be blatantly evil or whether it just be wrong in the context of God's plan for your life, if you kill it, it will bear much fruit. Like I said, the dreams, all the stuff. There's so many things in our life that vie for our attention. And some of those things, God is saying, no, they've got to die. They've got to die in order that you can truly live and that others can truly live. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And we've heard it many times in this pulpit, you know, that the thing with a living sacrifice, one thing to, you know, cut a goat's neck and throw it up on an altar, it's not going to move. But living sacrifices... You know how it is, you come to church on Sunday night and hear a great message, hopefully, and you know, get all inspired by the great worship that's happening and you would do anything for Jesus. You would just run at a wall flat out if, you, if someone asked you to. 
Because, you know, like you're caught up in the moment. Yes, Jesus, I will die for you. I will do anything for you. You've got all your plans. Who are you going to save tomorrow? You're going to go into that workplace and you're going to turn that place right side up. You're going to talk to the boss and tell him his need for you. You're going to, you know, you're going to forgive here and you're going to forgive there and you're going to just do everything you need to do in the spirit of the moment. And the next morning you wake up, what happens? Crawl off the altar and go back to your normal self. That, that so often happens because we're living sacrifices. Our will is involved. We have a choice to make. We can choose to continually to die daily. Paul said, I die daily. In other words, stuff is going on in my life that I'm not, really cho- I'm not really enjoying. I'm not really choosing it, but I'm prepared to endure it for the sake of what's ahead. Jim, Jim Elliott's famous for two things. One is this quote. It says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to obtain what he cannot lose. That's one of the things he's famous for. You know, the other thing he's famous for, he's famous because his body washed up down a river with spears in it. Him and four friends, so committed to the call of God, went into Ecuador, into an unreached people group. Not totally unreached because these people would come out of the forest every now and then and they would kill the loggers with their spears. But this man... God, living in comfort in America, well-respected, well-liked, family man, feels the call of God to go to another country and to reach a people that no one cares about. The loggers would have been happy just to take guns and shoot a lot of them. But he had a conviction to go and reach this people. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He died. His four friends died. They were speared to death, as I said, But in the aftermath, his son and his wife, or sorry, one of the guys who was killed, son and wife, went back to live with the very tribe that had speared the the, the men. And the tribe was brought to Christ. And the very man who had killed the father of a young son ended up bringing up the son in his village and has gone around the world just just able to talk about the glory of God, the goodness of God, the fact they lived in darkness. This tribe didn't even have a word for forgiveness. It was just payback. Someone hurts you, you hurt them back and hurt them back more. Kill them in their sleep, they can't get back at you. That was the way they used to live. This guy said, I'd killed 12 white men. He said, but now I've found the love of God. Because a man is willing to die. And that's, that's kind of, when you share it from this pulpit like that, it sounds really romanticised. It sounds like, man, who wouldn't want to live a life that goes out in a blaze of glory like that. Some possibly. You know, like, I'm, you know if you're one of those people that's on a, on a list for a cause, I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty amazing sort of stuff. But most of us aren't going to do that. Most of us are not going to live that type of life or die that type of life, that death. The fact is, for most of us, our life is going to leak out. We're going to, we can adopt that same attitude, but we're not going to be called upon to... Stand in front of a firing squad for Christ or go into an unknown people group or whatever. Most of us, it's just going to work day in, day out, being a good dad, being a good mum, trying to bring your kids up in the way that they know God, etc., etc. But in the midst of that, if you have an attitude that says, I am dead for Christ, he must increase, I must decrease. One drop of blood at a time, one drop of sweat at a time, one tear at a time, 
we can give our lives up for Christ. We can live, offer our lives as living sacrifices. My confidence is that as we die to our preferences, our prejudices, our lusts, our, lusts, our fears, that the light of God is going to be seen more and more and more brightly in our lives. As we decrease, like I said, he increases. The more that we're willing to recognise that what I do or what I think or what I say or my priorities are not consistent with the will of God, as we realise they're upside down and begin to make them right way up, the more the love of God and the grace of God and the power of God is going to flow through our lives. And that's the life that's truly life. That's what God's calling us to do. Jesus said, I'm going to come that you can live large. You can have life and have it to the full. And it's, there's a sense in which it's quantitative and it's qualitative. There's a quality of life that we can have as believers. You know that happiness doesn't come from doing things that make you happy. Happiness comes from fulfilling your purpose, from discovering what you were put on this planet to do. Jesus Christ was the epitome of a purpose-filled life, lived to its full. And the result was that many lives were transformed and saved. Jim Elliot and thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of others that have come since have been able to follow his example. And as a result, many millions of others have come to know Jesus. And at the end of the day, when you boil it all down, you know, we've, we've done a series recently on worldview. We've done a whole series on, on, on upside down and what really matters. What really matters? We're here for a short time. The bodies that we're in are in are limited. They have a use-by date. We're not going to be around forever. It makes, to me, all sense to consider our eternal home. It makes no sense to just put your head down and pretend that there's not such a thing as eternity, to pretend that we're not going to die, to pretend that we don't need to prepare ourselves. When Jesus spoke about life and death, he weighted things totally different than we do. This world emphasises pleasure. Jesus emphasised purpose. This world calls us and promotes Accumulation, Jesus says, let go. This world is so focused on the here and now, and yet Jesus calls us to focus on the hereafter. This, like I said, it is such a short moment that we have on this planet. And there are so many things vying for our attention. And there's a whole bunch of people that will tell you it's okay. That it, it makes sense from a worldly perspective, to do this or to live after or chase that or whatever it might be. But we're not called to live and think as the world lives and thinks. We're called to understand truth. When I spoke about foolishness being wisdom, I started off by saying the wisdom is this. Wisdom is about knowing what really is. We need to know what the truth is. We need to get the facts. Then we need to get right perspective. And that means like stepping back. And yes, a decision might look good in a one-year time span. It might look good in a five-year time span. It might look good in a 20-year time span. You know, people are making decisions, relational decisions. They look like real heroes for a few years. Hit their teenage years and realise that they're a good-looking young guy and think, man, I can can have whatever women I want. 
I'm going to sleep around. I'm going to have as much fun as I possibly can. Looks great for a season. Maybe when you're 30, it's cool. Get to 40, maybe you can still pull it off. 50, you're probably struggling a little bit. 60, you're a lonely old man. 70, you've got no kids around you. You're in a nursing home. No one cares. And you're on the way to an eternity without God, in all likelihood. Perspective. What looks good in the short term doesn't necessarily look good in the long term. And finally, it's about overcoming our emotions. Not to just do what feels good. Not to just do what our emotions or our fears, our worries, our delights, whatever, whatever our emotions, because emotions are so powerful, but we've been created in the image of God. We have a will and we can set our course. And we're called to set a course that Jesus has already walked in. Can I pray for you guys? And perhaps Tony, if you want to just come up and just finish off tonight, that'd be great. Father, I want to thank you so much for the impeccable example of Jesus Christ, the beautiful person of our Saviour who came and fleshed out the Word. We saw what religion did to the Word, Lord. We messed it up as people and it was ugly. It isolated, it it brought into bondage, it hurt people. It, It estranged people from you. And Jesus, you came and put things right and showed us how to really do it. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, in gratitude for that awesome act of salvation and the wonderful example that you set. Help us, Lord, to set our course. Help us to overcome our emotions. Help us to overcome the pattern of this world and all the voices that would say, do this, do that. This is the way. That's the way. And help us to hear your voice saying, this is the way. Walk in it. And may we walk long And may we walk hard in the same direction for the rest of our life. Amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.